Well, good morning, church, and welcome to second service here on Palm Sunday. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online this morning. We're thrilled that you're with us. But on this Palm Sunday, April 2nd of 2023, I think that we need to rename this day forevermore going forward. I think for MRCC, it has to be known from now on as Dirt Day because the construction's actually happening, right? Who's in? Who's in? Yeah, yep. Wow, it's actually happening. We didn't know if it would sometimes, but uh, now it's moving fast. And so we're thrilled pretty soon we're going to have a, a whole children's expansion out there. And that's just going to be awesome. Welcome this morning. It's great to be with you. You know, sometimes we just take our worship team for granted. They're here all morning. They get here at 6 in the morning. Can we just appreciate them this morning a little bit? Yeah. Thanks for them serving today. Pastor Darius losing his mind back there on the guitar this morning. That was good stuff. Uh, can I share a neat story with you, church? So yesterday, uh, we had a memorial service for our sister Jody. It was a beautiful, wonderful time together. Everybody who served at that, and there were a lot of us, it was a big memorial. Thank you for your time, your grace, traffic, food, ushering, all that kind of stuff. Thank you for serving yesterday. After the service was over yesterday, uh, a quite older woman, can I say elderly? Is that insulting? It's insulting. All right, she's really old. I'll just say it that way. No. A sweetheart, um, Mrs. Harold Smith. That's how she introduced herself. I still don't know her first name. But if you go down the hall and look at that, that picture board back there that has the history of our church, you'll find that she and her husband pastored Mount Rainier Christian Center from 1972 to 1979. And her husband's gone on home ahead of her. She's 92 now and has a cane. She came up just bubbling with, with joy and excitement because she drove out here for the first time in decades and got to see the church campus. Now, bear in mind that when they served, there was not a single building on this property. And her and her husband led the church when they built the original building, which was from the coffee stand down. So room 105 was a sanctuary back in the day. And they built that and did it because God led them to do that the church back then and she said you know we kept running out of money and we kept running out of materials and God kept coming through in all these ways and she said I remember my husband telling me God told me that the day is coming when hundreds of people are going to swarm here every Sunday to worship the Lord and she said it looks like it's happening it looks like you're building again I said yes sis God's doing his thing I thought how cool that the Lord would bring that to us on this weekend as our construction goes forward and I said, I hope you don't mind. I know you got a cane, but we're going to keep standing on your shoulders going forward. <laughs> and someday we're going to be 92 and driving by the campus and seeing others standing on our shoulders. Amen. Seeing that legacy continue. It's just a, a sweet moment. And I thought, Lord, your timing is perfect to bring that to pass on the very week that the construction really happens. It's just a cool thing to celebrate Church, you and I are part of it. You know, one of the reasons in your Bible way back in the Old Testament there's those chapters filled with names is because God wants us to know that he never forgets anything we do for him. He remembers us all by name forever. And so to all who have given, to all who have served, huge thanks. And 
by the end of the summer, we'll have a whole new children's building out there, a whole new entrance to the parking lot, all kinds of stuff. like. So it's dirt day, amen? Can we go with that? Dirt day going forward. Hey, just a few quick announcements before we open God's word together. Uh, I want to ask you to pray with me, first of all, because this morning, uh, an MRCC missions team flew out of SeaTac Airport. Here's a picture of that team. They are headed to Uganda in Africa to work with the Mercy Reigns School that was planted there. They're going to be there for the next two weeks. You might recognize Larry, and somebody's not very happy about it, but the rest of us are. Larry and Charla Travis and, uh, and Rhonda, my wife, and Janae, one of our kids' church teachers, um, they're headed there to serve the kids for the next two weeks to serve that community. And we want to ask God's blessing over them uh, on this mission trip. And would you bow your heads with me and let's do that together. Father, we thank you for inviting us to be part of what you're doing in the world, to be able to reach really halfway around the world and touch our brothers and sisters in another land. God, what a great privilege that is. And we've, we, of course, pray for your protection and travel mercies and all that. But, but even more, Lord, we pray that they would be fruitful in that place, that they would plant seeds and water seeds and shine light and encourage. God, we ask your, your anointing on their ministry efforts for the next two weeks. God, fill them with a sense of your joy in what they're doing. Fill them with a sense of your church that's so much bigger than one little town in western Washington. God, we thank you that we get to serve you. And we ask your blessing on that missions team this morning, our missions team, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of quick things. Uh, tomorrow night, Sisters of Strength, ladies, it's our monthly ladies' fellowship dinner. It'll be happening here at 6.30 tomorrow night. Dinner's free. Bring a friend. It's always a great time uh, of food and fellowship, so that'll be happening tomorrow night. This coming Friday is, as you know, Good Friday. And about four years ago, Pastor Weston started just a beautiful tradition, and that is our Good Friday night worship service. So that will be happening, one, one service at 6.30 on Friday night, Good Friday worship service. It's just worship and prayer gathering that night. Everybody's invited. A warning, uh, last year I got here not soon enough, and I sat in the foyer for uh, the Good Friday worship service. So it's usually a big crowd that comes out from that wonderful time together. You and everybody else invited, 6.30 on Friday night. Be aware of that. And then one last thing this morning, and that is that I want to invite Pastor Darius and Brittany to come join me on the platform here. And, and as you probably know, uh, Pastor Darius and Brittany have been called by God to a new vision in their life, which is to plant another new church here in Western Washington. And uh, they are going to be partnering with New Hope Church in Puyallup for the next year to build up to that program, itinerating, visiting other churches that are going to be sponsoring churches. We are going to be one of those sponsoring churches going forward. And today, with a little bit of sadness, but a lot of hope, joy, faith, we look forward. To it's so funny because when I met Mrs. Smith yesterday, you know, and that pioneering, and now you guys are going to do the same thing. So... This is a beautiful moment, church, and we are going to be part of sponsoring them going forward. They have given themselves to us for the last three years. Now we're sending them out and rejoicing. Would you stand with me so we can pray together for them? And can I ask you to do something that's maybe a little different? Would you just stretch out your hand as we pray towards them, as we ask God's blessing? Father, we thank you for the way that you have beautifully and completely saved Darius and Brittany. You've given them your grace. You went to the cross for them and rescued them, just as we sang a moment ago, from 
empty lives. And, and then you've called them into ministry. And over and over again, God, they have obeyed that call and borne fruit in many churches, God. And now you are calling them to plant a new body of Christ, a new church that will reach people nobody's reached before, God, that will carry your love and grace into the lives of people who don't know you yet. Lord, we ask your blessing on this calling. We ask that you would empower it. We ask that you would fill them with faith and peace. We ask that you would fill them with an abundance that meets every need, God. We pray that you would, in their hearts, whisper your word of faith, that they might rest in it, God, going forward. We thank you for what they've done here, so many lives they have touched. And now we ask you to abundantly bless this church planting. God, I can't wait for the day when we rejoice. Maybe we can do a simulcast with Pastor Darius's <laughs> church, and we can all sort of say, yay, God, we look for that. We ask your blessing on them. Thank you for them. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, you guys. Bless you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate. Now, be seated. Be seated. I was kidding with Pastor Darius that, you know, he kind of lost his mind on the guitar this morning, and I said, saved his best for last. That was awesome stuff. Cool stuff. He calls that shredding, by the way. For, if you're a nerd like me, you didn't know what that meant until he told me. But uh, yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, we stand on shoulders and others will stand on our shoulders. It's a cool thing. Grab your Bible, if you would, friends. Open it to Luke chapter 6. While you're turning there, plan to feel sorry for me for the next two weeks without my wife. I don't know who's going to cook or clean at our house, so I'll just be struggling. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Actually, we share all that, but going to be without her for the next couple weeks. If I show up next week without pants, don't be surprised. It's uh, me trying to manage. But Luke chapter 6 this morning, beginning with verse 43. Um, and as you know, we set ourselves this year to walk together through Luke's gospel. We're calling it a road trip with Jesus. The Lord told us that the world, our world, would be filled with deep fakes of Jesus, with people saying that they are acting or teaching in his name and aren't always. In fact, many times aren't. And Jesus said, you'll be able to tell the difference if you just pay attention. And our journey this year is to help us do that. I mean, if you took a road trip with somebody to the other coast and back, you get to know them really well. And in the same spirit, we're walking all the way through Luke's gospel, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that we might recognize Jesus' voice so clearly and know who says they're speaking in his name and really isn't. We can discern that difference. It's not a new thing, it's an old thing, but in our time, it, it's multiplying. And so here we are in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 33, 43. We're at the end of the, the Sermon on the Plain, as Luke calls it. And let me begin by saying this. I know you know this already, that you, you can't judge a book by its cover. And I'm sure that, like me, you have met people sometimes who seem to be a certain kind of person when you met them. But then as time went by and you got to know them better, you realized that they were somebody very different. And, and that can happen both in good ways and bad ways. But have you ever had that kind of experience? I'm sure you have. You met someone and they, you assumed because of maybe the way they dressed or they talked or where they were from or something that they were a certain kind of person. And then as time went on, you found out that the, the book has a cover that doesn't really tell the truth about the contents on the inside. I remember realizing this when I was stationed at Camp Pendleton back in the day, and our platoon got a new platoon leader. 
a new lieutenant who came to lead us, and boy, did he ever look the part of the Marine infantry officer. Broad shoulders, square jaw, permanent five o'clock shadow, big commanding voice. When he arrived, you're all like, oh yeah, that's what we're all supposed to look like, right? When he came in and he just had this presence and this, we were like, okay, that's our platoon leader, awesome stuff. And we got a good one. This can be great. And and as that first week began with him as our platoon leader, we were actually in the headquarters company. So we were in offices and, and my desk was just outside the door of his office. And about the third day we were there, all of a sudden, I hear him screaming, shouting from his office, Corporal Dalton, come in here, come in here right now, Corporal Dalton, get in here. I'm like, what, what happened? Oh my goodness. And I, and I run into the room and here's this massive guy standing on the other side of his desk and he's pointing at the windowsill. And he says, kill that spider. <laughs> like what i thought i remember thinking this is a joke right no he's like white face kill that spider really really okay so i took a kleenex and killed the spider and threw it in the garbage and i remember walking out and going yeah you can't judge a book by its cover right <laughs> this is my combat leader here you know that i'm wow you know you know but the truth is we're all like that and sometimes we can even fall into the trap of of judging ourselves by our exterior and thinking that we're something more than we are or less than we are. And it's that kind of thing that, that Jesus wants to talk to us about this morning. You know, later on when I was in, in NCO leadership school, I'll never forget a first sergeant giving me a talk one day about leadership. And he said this, he said, Greg, you have to understand that people are like sponges. And here's what he meant. He said, when you look at a sponge, you don't know what's in it. You don't know if it's soaked. You don't know if it's empty. You don't know if it's dry. He said, it's when you put pressure on it that what's inside comes out. You can't know what's in a sponge until you put pressure on it. And he, he went on to talk about, okay, so what we're going to do as leaders is train, put guys under pressure so we can find out who's got what and so on and so forth. But the lesson stuck with me. What comes out of us under pressure is not an exception to who we are. It's who we really were all along. The pressure just reveals what's inside of us. And that's important because the Lord's going to talk to us about that specific thing this morning. Lots of people, lots of us, sincerely and genuinely want to be brave or wise or humble or strong. But we often want to be that without preparing to be that. And that's like trying to play a musical instrument without ever practicing. You just can't do it. Lots of people want to be faithful followers of Jesus without ever training for it. And that's what the Lord is going to talk to us about as he finishes the Sermon on the Plain this morning. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, train yourself to be godly. Practice, plan, prepare, train yourself to be godly. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by accident. Physical training is of some value. Some of us have learned to do that. And that's great and that's good to take care of the body God has given us. But the Bible says godliness, which you also train for, has value for all things, catch this, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
In other words, when we train ourselves to be godly, we are not only preparing ourselves to experience him in this life, but to experience him when we pass out of this life. Training yourself to be godly has value for both the present age and the age to come. This is what is on Jesus' heart as he finishes teaching the Sermon on the Plain. And you're going to see it. Let's listen to him. Verse 43, chapter 6. The Lord is speaking. He says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People don't put pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Catch this. The good man, in the same way as a tree produces fruit, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The good woman brings good things out of the good stored up in her heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. You hear the repetition. You hear the emphasis. Jesus says, the storing up of the heart is the key, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, let's take a moment and understand what our Lord, our Savior, is wanting us to grasp here, what he's teaching us here. And what he's saying is that you and I, catch this, friends, we are the result of our habits. We are the product of, of our habits. The reason followers of Jesus are called disciples is because we are people who have adopted certain habits, certain disciplines that train us to live like him. And we are the result of those habits, the ones we choose and the ones we don't choose. And, and that's a, a wonderful thing on one level. It means that you and me, catch this, are not just the helpless products of our dysfunctional families or the hurts and abuses that we've suffered in our lives or the tough luck we've had or the tough time we live in or the sick culture that we live in. We're not, we're not limited to those realities, but we are what we train or practice to be. Notice that Jesus says it's what we store up in us that comes out of us, that makes us good or bad. That's a key thing. The Lord wants me to understand that my daily habits create my behavior, my attitude, and my ability. It's like muscle memory. Now, I remember when I was in the service, this is just a morning for military metaphors, so bear with me, but I remember when we were taken as a, 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 a company in, in training to the rifle range to learn how to shoot. And you know, a lot of us had grown up shooting, so we already knew how to do that. I was surprised by how many guys didn't, had never shot a weapon before. It was a lot of them, more than half of us. And so 90 of us go off to the rifle range, and they're going to train us in two weeks how to shoot. And they're going to train us to a very high standard. You know, the requirement to be a Marine rifleman is that you have to be able to hit a torso-sized target seven times out of ten at 500 yards over an open site. Now, if you know anything about shooting, that's not easy. That's a difficult challenge. It wouldn't be a challenge if you had a scope or you had some assistance, but you don't have any of that. This is open sights, uh, seven out of ten times, a real challenge. And when we first, when I first heard that, I thought, man, I don't know how many of these guys are going to be able to do that. How can you possibly teach all these guys that in two weeks? So the first day came when we went out for training, and they took us out to this enormous field filled with these round concrete circles in the grass. And every guy was put on a circle, 
And then the instructors came out and they had us sit down in kind of a cross-legged, you know, Indian-style posture. And then they got us into this position, a shooting position, and then they strapped these harnesses onto our bodies that they tightened up and locked down that locked you in that position. You couldn't move. You couldn't get up. You couldn't roll over. You couldn't move your arms, your legs. And, you know, at first it's like, what the heck, you know? And we're sort of laughing about it and making jokes and stuff. And then after they got us all tied into these harnesses, they left. <laughs> they left us there. And for the next two hours, we sat there on those concrete things, not just unable to move. And at first, you know, everybody's joking and laughing and talking, and then it starts to hurt. And then it starts to hurt a lot. And to this day, I can still feel that pain in the backside of my shoulder. Oh, my goodness. You know, and by the end of the two hours, some guys are like bawling and other guys are screaming and everything. And they come out and they untie us. We're like, wow, that's over. Yeah, till tomorrow morning. The next morning, we did. for a solid week, they did that to us. And we didn't go to the range and shoot anything. It's like, what's going on here? But then, after a whole week of that, when we went to the range and they put us into those positions and they gave us weapons, suddenly aiming was so much more easier. Our bodies knew what to do. Jesus is saying that God wants to do that in your life. He wants to train you for godliness. He's saying what comes out of you depends on what's stored up in you ahead of time. Church, let me just say this gently. The saddest thing in the world is somebody who really wants to follow Jesus with their whole heart, but they never accept the need to train. And so as a consequence, they're perpetually frustrated. They live on this roller coaster of, oh, I want, but I can't, but I want, but I can't. And it's a, it's a heartbreaking thing, and the Lord knows that. And so when he finishes the Sermon on the Plain, he says, hey, don't think that just because you got what I said in your head, you're good to go. He says, no, now you need to train. Now you need to practice these things, and they will transform your life. You know, that perpetual frustration that I was talking about a moment ago, that's captured over in Hebrews chapter 5. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should have grown up, you should have developed certain abilities, you should have trained to a certain ability. He says, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. It went in, ear, in one ear and out the other. You need milk, not solid food. I want to give you solid food. I want to give you steak and eggs. I want to hook you up with, you know, those 7-Eleven corn dogs and all the good things in life. But all you can really handle is milk. He says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, about real relationship with God. Solid food is for the mature, catch this, who by constant use, there's the training, there's the storing up, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're hearing what I'm saying, but understand that it's the practicing of what I'm saying that has the real power. And I'm inviting you to live with that understanding, to recognize, Greg, that you're a sponge, that what you soak up by practice, by training, that is what will come out of you when the chips are down, when you want good things to come out. You know, here's the reality. We all, we all want to have a great marriage. But then we assume that it just happens accidentally or automatically instead of happening when we choose to work at it. I'm working with three couples right now in premarital training, and what we're talking about is a marriage is something you commit to work at. When you do commit to work at it, the blessings are unbelievable, but you have to commit to work at it. We're talking about how you do that. Yeah. We want to have great marriages, but we assume they happen accidentally or automatically. 
Sometimes we want to be great parents, but all we really do is hope that we'll be great parents without ever training or preparing to be great parents. We want to control our temper or we want to control our tongue, but we, we think it's just a matter of willpower when it's really about training ourselves to speak good instead of evil. We want to be good friends, especially good Christian friends, but we don't want to practice the kind of sacrifice that binds us together. We want to be a great church, maybe, but we don't want to give or serve or deal with other people, and, and so we find ourselves experiencing something different. Jesus says goodness comes out of us because it's been stored up in us, and that's what he wants you and I to grasp. You know, I think about... Um, our family, we, we, we love to go camping. We're a camping family. And over the years, we've done that a lot. And we all really look forward to it when we go. And, you know, we'll put a date on the calendar and, hey, we're going to go this Friday, Saturday and camp. That's kind of our weekend. And, and the same thing kind of happens every time, which is that about two weeks out from the camping trip, Rhonda says, I'm going to start packing for the camping trip. I always say the same thing. That's two weeks from now. Are you kidding? We have lots of time to pack. And she'll say something like, well, when are you planning to do that? You know what, honey? We, even if we get up on Friday morning, we can throw some stuff in the car. It'll be awesome. And for the next two weeks, she packs. <laughs> she gets her tubs out with all of her stuff, and she goes through it, and the spare room is filled up with her stuff. And I'm like, whatever. You're wasting. Come on. It's just camping. But inevitably, the same thing happens when we get out there. And that is, I'm really glad that she remembered to bring salt and pepper and batteries and a can opener and my warm gloves and above all, toilet paper. And I realize that her preparing is actually what makes the camping great. It's not my cavalier attitude. It's her preparing that makes it great. Jesus is saying something like that to us about our lives. He says, man, you want to have a great marriage. You want to be a great parent. You want to have great friendships. You want to be part of a, a great church. Well, it happens when you train yourself for it, not just by wanting it or hoping for it. So let me ask you this morning, are you training yourself to be godly? Have you received, accepted Jesus' invitation to do just that? We're going to talk about how that happens when we close in a few minutes. But the question is, are we, are we willing to do that? I have a friend known him for many, many years. And he's going through a real struggle in his life because his grown son, uh, a couple of years ago, made a choice to pretend that he's not the gender that he was born. And he married another man as a consequence of that. And my friend is deeply struggling with that. And he came to me and he said, Greg, what do I say? What do I do? He says, my friend says, I know this isn't what God wants, what God intends, but how do I communicate that to my son? You know, when he first said that to me, here's what went through my mind. I'll call him Bill, not his name. I said, Bill, I've known you for 30 years, and in your entire life, God's never been a priority to you. You don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you don't go to church, you don't express your faith, you act in ways contrary to your faith. And all that time, you tell yourself that you're a person of faith, but now when the chips are down, you want suddenly your son to respect your faith and listen to you about it? And so I said to Bill, I said, you know what, Bill, the first thing you need to do is start going back to church. If you want your son to hear you speak God's truth, hear you speak it, you're going to have to earn some credibility in his life because he's got a lifetime of seeing you not do that. And now, and you know, here's the irony, is my friend Bill is absolutely right, but because there's no training, because there's no preparation, he's got nothing to give. 
And Jesus wants us to understand that that's true for us. He wants us to understand that we are like sponges and that what comes out of us is the result of what we soak up. And here's the thing, gang. The soaking is always happening. (laughs) Whether you know it or not, whether you're paying attention or not, whether you want it to happen or not, the soaking is always happening. Jesus put it this way over in Matthew 6. And remember, we learned that the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, this is Jesus' core curriculum he taught everywhere. Didn't always use the exact same stories, but always the exact same ideas. And over in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says this, verse 22. He says, the eye, your eye, is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, what we allow ourselves to see, what we allow ourselves to hear, what we allow ourselves to store up will govern our ability to see clearly or our becoming progressively blind about what's right and wrong. Jesus says the difference is what you allow yourself to soak in. God says, think about, and and church, this is your father speaking to you and me this morning. Think about what you're watching or listening to. You can pretend it doesn't affect you. You can tell yourself that and you can tell everybody else that. But Jesus says, not true. Jesus says, you're a sponge and what you soak up will come out, especially when you're under pressure. And one of the things I've observed over all these decades of pastoring is that people will, will do pretty awful things sometimes. And then when we sit in my office and they're grieving that and we're talking about it, they'll say, I don't understand. That's not me. And every time I want to say, no, 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 you just discovered the real you because you were under pressure and the real you came out in that pressure. Be humbled by this and say, wow, I need to go about things differently so I can learn how to be godly. Jesus is talking about that kind of thing here. It's not as simple as saying, you know what, I'm never going to watch R-rated movies. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm done. I've taken care of the eyes. Lamp. You know what, your Bible's got R-rated movies. It's got NC-17 in it. But the difference is, In your scripture, wrong is always wrong, right is always right, and the bad is never glorified or celebrated. That's the difference. So do you pay attention to what you watch? Do you pay attention to what you hear? It's not enough to say, well, this song is fun. I know better. It won't affect me. Yes, it will. Jesus says when you soak yourself in those kind of messages, that's what comes out when the chips are down. And he, he wants us to understand this for our own good. He's not just making rules. He's a father. If we soak in news media stories of strife and hate and crime and politics, we will become angry because attitude is contagious. I heard someone say this week, how come in our country we've had 129 mass shootings so far in this year alone? Because everybody's angry. Why? Because everybody's soaking in it. Jesus says, turn it off. You don't have to. Shut it down. What you soak up will come out under pressure. We live in a time, friends, when we can see anything we want whenever we want. We got that little phone in our pocket. But here's the other side of the coin. We can't unsee what we see. And that's every bit as much a reality as our freedom to see. Jesus says, hey, Greg, understand that what comes out of you is a result of what you put into you. I want you to grasp this because I know you want to serve me. I know you want to follow me. I know you want to obey me. I know that. I see your heart. But 
Godliness is a thing you train and practice and prepare for. It doesn't happen magically. Now, here's, here's the great side of this as we kind of turn into the home stretch. It works both ways. You say, man, I've got a lot of junk soaked up in me. Well, start soaking up the other stuff, and it's only a matter of time until that's all you've got in you. Can I just tell you a personal story? I grew up in a home where foul language was an everyday thing. And then I left that home and went into military barracks for the next seven years. And that takes it to a whole nother level. And I got all the words, right? Sometimes you can make whole sentences without any real words. They're just obscene words, right? When I became a believer, though, Jesus said to me, hey, Greg, your tongue's the steering wheel of your life. And what you say matters and all this kind of stuff. And so I started training. None of you ever has or ever will hear one foul word from my lips. You've never heard it. I'm not bragging. I'm telling you the truth. Nobody in this community, nobody in any church I've ever served has ever heard that and never will. Why? Because it's trained out of me. If you put the pressure on, here's the baddest words you'll get out of me. The staff laughs about it. I'll say, horse feathers. That's my worst. That's what I got right there. Because that's all that's in there. And so you say, oh, it's hopeless. I can't get back. No, Jesus says, no, start storing up the good stuff. And it crowds out the other stuff. And the Lord says, I want that for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want this for you. I want you to experience this. So Paul writes in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Store them up. And what will happen is then what comes out of you, you don't even have to worry about because when the pressure's on, the good stuff comes out. You know, the Old Testament story of Samson is a great example of this. You can read that story, Judges 13 to 16 in your Bible. But in a nutshell, it tells the story of a man, Samson, who wanted to serve God from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. That's what he wanted passionately. And it, he demonstrates it repeatedly. But at the same time, he also wanted to hang out with a lot of girls who didn't and after a bunch of relationships and several marriages, that soaking wore out his desire. And he gave in to Delilah when she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me and tell me the secret of your great strength? With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. And all the men said, amen. I'm kidding. So he told her everything. And that was the beginning of the end. The next thing he knew, he was in slavery, and she moved on, and Samson became a cautionary table, uh, story in our Bibles. You see, church, here's the thing. We can honestly want one thing, but earn another. And Jesus loves us. And so he wants us to understand the difference between those two things. And that's what's on his heart as he finishes this teaching. Look at verses 46 to 49. The Lord says, and you'll see the same thing. He says, so why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? I'll show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not choke it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't, here's the theme again, put them into practice. They just hope instead of train. That's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is a father's heart speaking to us, to you and me this morning. So let me ask you again, 
Are you training to be grateful? What are you storing up inside of yourself? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you participating in? Jesus says, that's, that's the ballgame right there. I read a great analogy recently. Uh, Ian Sarks writes, for most people, Jesus is more of a mascot than a master. You know what a mascot is, right? It's somebody we cheer for, we celebrate, we high-five, we laugh about, we hold up, we put on bumper stickers or, you know, pictures. And uh, uh, Let me give you a, a great mascot. Here's probably the best mascot that uh, I can think of. But I knew I'd get that reaction. So let me put up a better mascot. All right, can we go with this one here? All right, there you go. All right, yeah. There's a mascot. But some say you can take it up another level with this mascot right here. So we've got that one. We've got that one as well. But, but see, here's the thing, right? A mascot is somebody we enjoy, we cheer for. They're, we hold them up. I'm with him. But they don't train us. They don't teach us anything. They're just kind of a flag to wave. A coach is a different story. And when players submit to the training of a coach, then they get to enjoy much more than just cheering. They get to enjoy victory. They get to enjoy winning. They get to experience the coach for who he or she really is. And, and that's the spirit that Jesus is speaking to us here. So, so let's finish with what the Apostle Paul says about this, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run, you, Greg, you, brother, sister, son, daughter, you. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run to win. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. This training is infinitely more valuable. Therefore, Paul says, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. Instead, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I won't be disqualified for the prize. The prize, by the way, is not salvation. In this case, he's talking about the reward in eternity. When we go to heaven, it's not the ultimate communist utopia where everything gets the same thing. The Bible teaches us that there's different rewards for some than others. First Corinthians chapter 3, no time for that this morning. But the idea is that godliness has value both for this life and the life to come. It's a great thing if you work out, keep your body in shape, but infinitely more significant is what's going on with your soul and your spirit. Scripture says, go into strict training because you know that the crown you earn will last forever. If you go upstairs into our spare room, our, kind of our junk room there, you'll find on the wall, Rhonda's got a big shadow box, and it is filled with pictures of her running and all the medals that she earned in her decade of marathons. And, you know, every time she walks in there, she can look at it, she gets a little smile on her face. And it's neat, and she gets to celebrate it. There is not a little box next to it with my medals or my pictures or anything like that. There's nothing like that there. When I walk in there, I just see hers. And what's the difference? She trained. I didn't. She gave herself to ungodly things like ice baths and 4 a.m. runs. I didn't. She experienced the joy of it, and I didn't. And Jesus is saying that to us this morning. So grasp his heart in this moment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Training for godliness won't always seem fun. 
It won't always seem warm and enjoyable. It doesn't seem pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So as we finish, I've got three minutes to finish. Ready? Here we go. Number one, watch what you watch. The scripture says the eye is the lamp of the body. Jesus says watch what you watch. Turn it off. You don't have to watch it. Don't say to yourself, uh, I know better, so it's not going to affect me. Jesus says it will. Let me tell you the greatest lie in the 21st century. You ready for it? Here it is. For mature audiences only. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite. It's for immature audiences only, if it says that. It means you're not grown up. Uh, so watch what you watch, the Lord says. Second of all, tune your app. The good man brings good things out of the good store. Now, when I say tune your app, pay attention to what you listen to. You can say to yourself, oh, I know better. It's just my favorite kind of music. Jesus says not so. It will soak into your heart, your mind. You listen to it over and over and over and over again until you know every word by heart. That stuff will affect you. He says, pick the stuff that's good for you. Be willing to, you know, athletes give things up in order to win. Jesus says, give some stuff up so you can win. Tune your app. Number three, go to practice daily devotional time. You should have one. It only takes 10 minutes a day in God's word and prayer, and your life will be radically transformed. Pretty quickly, 10 minutes won't be enough, but that's where you start. And as you do that, you're training yourself to be godly. Your life will change. Jesus says, my word will never return void. So go to practice. And finally, the last one is to look forward. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness. So say to yourself, you know what? I'm practicing for the day when the pressure's on. And you'll be so thrilled when what comes out of you in that moment is a good thing. Finish with a story real quick. I have a dear friend. Just lost his wife of 52 years. They were soulmates. They are. They will be again. But for their entire earthly life. Best friends, wonderful marriage, great family. During the last two years of her life, though, she wrestled with severe illness, both in her body and in her mind, dementia, as well as other problems. And they multiplied, they multiplied to the point where my friend was a 24-7 caretaker for his wife who often didn't even recognize him or know who he was. It's a painful journey. He talked about times when he was angry and times when he was exhausted. And yet, he said, that's my wife. I'm taking care of her all the way to the end. And when she went home to be with the Lord just a couple of months ago, he and I were sitting having lunch and talking about it, and tears filled his eyes, and he said this to me. He said, you know, Pastor, we loved each other profoundly all our lives. I thought I couldn't possibly love her more. But in these last two years, he said, I discovered something inside of myself I didn't even know was there. I discovered a capacity to love her beyond what I ever imagined I could. He said, I, I can't believe that I could love this much. And I only discovered it because of the pressure we've been under these last two years. He said, there's a weird way in which I'm thankful because I found out what we stored up in us all those years goes so deep. God wants that for you. God wants that for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for this invitation to train ourselves to be godly. Send us from here recognizing that your invitation is for us because you are a good farmer. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand in case can't notice I'm going really fast because I preach too long.
Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.